All right, well, we're in Acts chapter 11 this morning. What a blessing. Father, we thank you for Pastor Mike and for all our missionaries that you allow us to support. It's, it's you. You're doing a work in our midst, and we thank you for allowing us to be used. And Lord, we do thank you for every missionary support and for the funds that you give to us to give to them. So just keep us focused, Lord, on this uh, temporal life. And to invest in eternity. Even as we're going to do right now, invest these next few moments in your word, your love letter to humanity. It's full of all truth. And so open our eyes, soften our hearts, that we would hear the truth in these verses and grasp the bigger picture. Again, of this short life that we all live. 70, 80 years. It's nothing compared to eternity. So help us to be alive. Help us to be aware. Help us to be in tune with what you'd have us to do for the gospel, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Acts chapter 11, we're going to do 19 through 26. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Acts verse by verse. So Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far. You see, we're now leaving Jerusalem as we're going through chapter 11 of Acts here. And the experience of Peter reaching out to the Gentiles, and we're heading back in time. So as you read the Bible, if you're doing it devotionally, sometimes it can be confusing, because it, like, you, like I did this morning in my devotion, it only took me about 20, 25 minutes to read three chapters of the Bible. And sometimes when you read that, you just think, well, everything's boom, 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 boom. And it's not. So you do have to slow down, and you have to take in, in, in your devotional time go, wait a minute. Something happened here. Well, that's what we do as I try to teach you for the work of the ministry to slow down and see what can be obvious, but if we don't slow down, it's not obvious. But if we just slow down a little bit, if you would turn off your phone, if you would turn off everything in your house and just have that devotional time and slow down, you will see God's word come alive. And you'll start to have questions, which will then cause you to dig a little bit deeper. And maybe go to the adult Sunday school or to marriage enrichment or to young adults or or a Wednesday night service or whatever. And all of a sudden you will find yourself just going deeper and deeper with the Lord without neglecting all of your other responsibilities that we all have. We all have that. So don't even go that route like we're trying to get people to not be responsible because we're not. But we're going back in time to the early church and into the lives of Barnabas and Saul to see how the Holy Spirit called them into the ministry. So now we're traveling back in time. Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. And I have that highlighted. because We've been talking about that for about the last month. The early church was nothing but Jews. And so as you read this, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. Again, we're going back. Remember, we were with Peter. It had been eight to ten years. Peter went to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. A miracle took place. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. Then the Gentiles were brought into the church. But that was eight to ten years after we're going back to that point. Okay? But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. 
For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So in verses 19 and 20, again, the scriptures take us back in time to give us some more details on what took place after the death of Stephen, or in the scriptures, Stephen. So again, we're we're going back. You want to keep that in your mind to keep it straight, what's going on as we read here, as we study. The church was scattered by a Pharisee named Saul, whom we've studied in depth previously. Saul persecuted the early church. This is the time we're going back to, which caused them to go from Jerusalem to fulfill the great commission of our Lord found in Acts 1.8, which we've talked a lot about. And what is interesting about these early Jewish believers is that we once again see that they were only taking the gospel to their fellow Jews. Now these areas that these men were sent to and going to, they're not close to Jerusalem. Phoenicia is actually known as Phoenix, was a harbor on the southwest coast of the island of Crete, about 750 miles from Jerusalem. Cyprus was an island about 300 miles northwest of Jerusalem, and Antioch was about 300 miles due north of Jerusalem. So these Jews who had become Christians were preaching about Jesus being the Christ to the Jews who were raised in the Greek culture, the language, the thought, the custom, otherwise known as Hellenist. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenist. So who was a Hellenist? They were Jews. But again, they were just raised in the Greek culture, the Greek language. That's the, that's the only thing. So it's very important to realize that. In verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Notice that the hand of the Lord was with them. What's so important about that? It's like this morning. Blessed are the flexible, Pastor Chuck taught us, who was the pastor of Calvary Chapel, who started the Calvary Chapel movement. One of his things was, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And so you have to be open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, it's not like, okay, we do this, we do this, we do this, and it better be on time because we got to make these people happy and get them out to their cars. I'm not interested in making you happy. I want to teach you the Word of God. And we want to draw closer to the Lord. If that doesn't make you happy, the problem is on your end, not ours. So we want to draw closer to the Lord, and that means we've got to be flexible. Even myself, I have to be flexible. I like routine. I like being on time. I like doing certain things. But I've also learned, be flexible. Because the Holy Spirit wants to do something. So don't get in the way of the Holy Spirit. That's my exhortation to you, from me, as I've learned over the years. Very, very important. So notice here, even though they had some prejudices or discriminated against the Gentiles, they were still used by God in a mighty way. Why? Because the hand of the Lord was with them. And again, as I mentioned last week, this has nothing to do with anti-Semitism, so don't even go down that road. We're just looking at history. This is fact. We're not talking against anybody. When you read your Bible, if you have a prejudice and you go down that road, ask the Holy Spirit to deliver you of that prejudice. Because we don't have a prejudice against anybody here. We just want to talk at the facts. So what are the facts? They were not going to the Gentiles. That's just reality. Leave it at that. 
But we see that the hand of the Lord was with them. Well, how does the hand of the Lord be with us? By submitting to the Holy Spirit, by being flexible to the Holy Spirit, by standing, spending time in the Word of God on a regular daily basis, by, by praying and developing a prayer life. And maybe you're not comfortable with that, so then maybe you need to come to a prayer meeting. We have prayer meetings here every Saturday morning from 8.30 to 9.30. And you don't have to pray, but you'll hear other people pray. And all these years, I've never heard anybody pray in King James. They just use their natural voice, and they pray. They have a conversation with God. But I, can, I know it can be uncomfortable, so you've got to stretch yourself a little bit and learn to do that. How can I have a conversation with God? The same way you have a conversation with anybody else. But you have to stop and be quiet and focus, which is very hard for us to do, right? Why do we have arguments in life? Do we stop and listen and focus? Is that an argument? Because if we stopped, listened, and focused, we probably wouldn't be having an argument. We'd probably be repenting for what we said or saying we're sorry or whatever the case may be. Does that make sense? So the hand of the Lord was with them because they were, they were seeking after God. They just weren't mature yet to go to the Gentiles. No bashing. They just haven't matured yet. They're going to get there. They just haven't gotten there yet. Very, very important. A great number of Jews believed and turned to the Lord. You see, the early church had been dispersed through persecution. This is the key, because we're going back to that time. But it is still growing through inspiration and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And this can be seen throughout history that whenever the church is persecuted, church growth takes place. But this is an important point for you and I in America as we see Christianity being persecuted. But in order to be persecuted, there needs to be a lifestyle transformation. I'm probably going to step on somebody's toes. So you might want to put them under your chair. But this past week, because Trump is not our savior, just in case you thought he was, he's not. One of his key people in a key office, when he went to be sworn in, this man brought his husband, as well as their twin children, to the swearing-in ceremony. Check it out. That's just reality. Okay, so Christianity is on the block. If I stand up and speak out against this, I could be arrested for hate speech. That's just a reality. But we've got to stay with the facts of the word. Trump is not our savior. Jesus is our savior. And we need to keep taking people to Jesus, not to the Republicans or the Democrats or whatever we think is going to save us, because they're not. Only Jesus is going to save this country, the people in the country. The country goes away, it goes away. We're concerned about the people in the country, not the country itself. I I hope you realize that. Very, very important, because if we get so focused on our country, then we're no better than the Jews who crucified Jesus, because they were more concerned about their temple than they were about God's son. And do a study, you'll find out that that's true.
They were more concerned about their temple, their physical temple. So are we more concerned about America or are we concerned about the people in America? We need to be concerned about the people in America. Very, very important to make sure we have that distinction in our minds. But in order to be persecuted, there needs to be a lifestyle transformation which seems to be lacking in many believers' lives today. Again, this is just my opinion, and I'm not painting with a super wide brush, so don't take offense. But I I think if you look at what's happening in churches today, where churches are debating whether we should go along with the LGBTQ agenda, that's a problem. We, We don't have to even discuss that. That's not a debate. What are we debating? You're debating the Word of God? That's what they're doing. They're debating the word of God. Well, it's not open for debate. So for you and I, there needs to be a lifestyle transformation in order to even be persecuted. Otherwise, why would they persecute us? And through persecution, I personally believe Saul came to know Jesus as his savior through the stoning of Stephen or Stephen. So persecution is vital for the church. We need it. We need to have it. Bring it on. You see, an attitude of being sold out for Jesus, no matter what our family, friends, or neighbors might think. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Very, very important. Is that hot in here? I'm having a hot flash. I'll get over it. I'll take one for the team. But the second service, the air is going on. (laughs) 1 Peter 3, 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Notice that, guys. Notice that. We can't be secret Christians in a culture that is telling us as believers that you have to not only accept a lifestyle, you have to endorse that lifestyle. And that's what they're telling people. Not only do you have to accept it, you have to endorse it. And if you don't, you're going to get fired or you're going to get reprogrammed. You will go to training to make sure that you endorse it as well. That's just reality. And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, set apart. Set apart. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And that's not defending God. Oh, God needs your defense. No, no, no. That's just making a defense for truth. If nobody stands up for truth, then who's going to know the truth? So we defend the truth. Not that God needs our defense, because he doesn't. But we need to take a stand for the truth in the days we're living in. With meekness and fear. In other words, in humility and reverence of God. Not bashing, not belittling, not mocking, none of that. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Marriage is between one biological male, one biological female. So they ridicule me. They make fun of me. That's okay. It's the word of God. It's good conduct. And one day they will be ashamed when they're called into account. Four, verse 17 is key, for it is better 
if it is the will of God, as Pastor Mike even shared, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's called persecution. So when you and I take a stand for righteousness sake, not self-righteous, but just for righteousness sake, that God loves you speaking the truth in love, and we get persecuted, praise God for that. Give him the thanks. And don't be surprised. Back in Acts 11, 22 through 24. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, notice that, had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Now here's an editorial. For he, who's the he? Barnabas. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Just that small, isn't that a great editorial about a person's life? Wouldn't you like to have that editorial in your life? And here it is in the word of God forever. For Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. The good news of people getting saved came to the church in Jerusalem. And the church asked Barnabas to go and minister under these new saints. But why Barnabas? And as you read your word, you want to ask yourself some simple questions. You know, why Barnabas? And not Peter or one of the other apostles. Most likely it was because Barnabas was from this area. Acts 4.36 tells us that Barnabas was from Cyprus. So he would have been familiar with the people and their culture. So the leaders in Jerusalem sent him there to teach the people about Jesus, and many were coming to know him as the Messiah or Christ. They were receiving Jesus as the Messiah, the long-awaited, anticipated Messiah. But I love the editorial note about Barnabas here, that he was a faithful witness of Jesus in a culture that was very self-centered. And it's a great exhortation for us today as we live in a similar culture. You see, God still desires people to get saved. And that's why he calls people to go to various areas. And that's why he also allows us to give of our finances so that we can send. There's those who are sent and those, those who are senders. And so you have to pray about being sent as well as being a sender. How can I participate in that? And he will use anyone who makes themselves available. Barnabas was available for the work of the Lord. And we will see him being used by God to bring Saul, who wrote almost half of the New Testament, to the forefront of the ministry to the Gentiles. Verse 23. And when he came and had seen the grace of God again, and he was glad. It's very interesting. How do you see the grace of God? He saw the grace of God. Well, how do you see the grace of God? Well, for me, for by grace you are saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8a. For by grace you are saved through faith. He was seeing people get saved. He wasn't going out doing social work. And don't take me wrong. It's important that we do social work. But we can't love people to hell. We can't feed people and house people and not take them the gospel. The gospel is vital. Shouldn't be doing one without the other. So it's very, very important. So how did he see the grace of God? There were those who believed and it was evident in their lives. Again, salvation should bring about a change in which those whom we come in contact with, this is for you and me today, because some people might say, well, how can I make the Bible applicable, practical? Here it is. 
should notice that change. Have people noticed a change in your life? Do do people in your workplace notice a change? Well, maybe you were a Christian when you came in, so they haven't noticed a change. But do they see that you're different than them and everybody else? So maybe they haven't noticed a change, but they do notice you're different. Or are you just like everybody else? Because we shouldn't be just like everybody else, especially in a culture that's trying to press us in to be like everybody else. Conform, conform, conform. You can't have your own opinion. Thought police. You can't have your own thoughts. It's getting that crazy. Guys, this is just reality. Well, let's look at Colossians chapter 1. You see, here are Jews who are born under the law, trying to fulfill the law, but now have been set free from the law by what? By the grace of God. For by grace, you are saved through faith. Colossians 1 says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, notice where our living hope is at, heaven, not on this earth, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Notice that. Bringing forth fruit. As it also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. There was bringing forth of fruit. How about Titus chapter 2? Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. For the grace of God. It's about grace. Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. Notice that, that you and I, we have to deny our flesh. It's an active process that we all have to go through every single day throughout the day. Everyone in this room has to do this. It might be something different, but everyone has to do it. Am I going to swear? Am I going to gamble? Am I going to lust? Am I going to look at pornography? Am I... Am I going to cut somebody off? Am I going to get angry? Am I going to, you have to make decisions throughout the day. That's called the flesh. Are you going to feed the flesh or are you going to keep the flesh in check via the Holy Spirit feeding the Holy Spirit? We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Paul's writing this in the original 50s and 60s, guys. The original 50s and 60s. Evil was present then. Is it present today? Absolutely. So you and I, it's very practical. We have to guard our hearts. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say Donald Trump there. Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. King James says peculiar people. Special people, zealous for good works. So when you realize what the weight of the law these people had lived under for their whole lives, these Jewish people, and we know Jewish people today that are living under the weight of the law to this day. When you realize what the weight of the law these people had lived under for their whole lives, you can better appreciate the fact of why Barnabas was glad. Why Barnabas was glad. 
And for those of us who have tried to live a life worthy of receiving God's love and forgiveness, let me ask you this question. Before you became a Christian, how many of you were trying to make God happy by maybe going to church every Sunday or doing some religious duty or obligation? Were any of you trying to make God happy at all? Any of you? So you can really appreciate the gladness of Barnabas and how glad I was to know when I received Jesus as my Savior, I didn't have to try to meet all the obligations of the church that I was attending. Because if I met all those obligations, then maybe God would love me. Then maybe I would be able to go to heaven. But I'd have to go to purgatory first. I don't know if you guys know what purgatory is, but purgatory is hell light. It's hell light. You're burning. You're in purgatory burning. Until somebody prays you out. And nobody knows how long that takes, not even the Pope. You can ask any priest. You could ask the Pope. How long does it take to get somebody out of purgatory? No one knows. So good luck. Just come to know Jesus and stop playing church. And it sets you free. Not free to sin, but free to have a personal relationship with God and praise Him. And then you just automatically love Him and want to do those things that satisfy Him. It's amazing. So Barnabas encourages them to keep seeking after the Lord. The word encourage there, it's defined as to call near. And it carries with it the idea, I'm not a Greek scholar, you can get the books, It carries with it the idea of comfort, consolation, exhortation, as well as instruction, encourage, to call near. You see, God chose the right man to minister to these saints. And what did Barnabas encourage them to do? To purpose in their hearts that they would continue with the Lord. And that's what I try to do every Sunday to you all as I try to do to myself as well. And I have other pastors that are do, that we encourage one another and other groups that encourage me to do the same, like last night, marriage enrichment, to stay focused on marriage, to stay focused on your mate, to stay focused on the Lord, to die to self, to minister to your mate. Don't be selfish. Don't be cold. Don't be hard-hearted. We need to be at these events so that we can hear because our hearts can become cold and hard and callous. Home fellowships, whatever the case may be, not just Sunday morning. As the days get darker, you and I, we need to be more and more and more involved with the church. They should continue with this phrase, prosmeno. It comes from a root word which has two meanings. Pros, which is a preposition of direction. It means to move forward to. So notice the action, to move forward to. Not just be a pew potato, but actually moving forward to. And then mano is a verb which means to stay. To stay. I'm going to tie this all together. Hang in there. So the noun in this verse would be the Lord. So they are exhorted by Barnabas to move forward and stay focused on the ways of Jesus. Luke 14.1 says this, And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. Now as you read it in context, you'll find out very quickly The religious elite were watching him to find fault with him against the law. Specifically, find fault with him against the law. 
Not just that he was a bad guy, but if we're going to crucify him, if we're going to kill him, we got to find fault with him against the law. 613 commandments. It'd be easy to find anybody guilty of that. But we read and observe what Jesus and the word shows us so that we might be more like Jesus. Not trying to find fault with him, but to see the grace of God in action. And that is what we're doing even here this morning. We have come together and we're purposed in our hearts to go through the word so that we might seek after the ways of God by learning more about his one and only son, Jesus. And when you look at the big picture of life, guys, it really doesn't get any better than that. This morning is the best part of my day, not because I get to teach you, but even as I'm teaching, the Holy Spirit's ministering to me as well. And the Holy Spirit hopefully is ministering to you. I enjoyed the football games yesterday, but they're done, they're over, they have no meaning in my life, they're not going to impact me eternally. I'll enjoy the games this afternoon. Again, no impact eternally. So the time that, any time that we spend talking about the Lord or are in His Word, this is now impacting our lives for eternity. There's nothing better than that, guys. Nothing. Again, we need to do all of our responsibilities and meet those obligations, but always keep that in mind. There's nothing better than what you're doing right now. Sacrificing an hour and a half of your precious time to give to God so that the Holy Spirit can minister to you. See, you get blessed. You think it's a sacrifice. I think it's a, it's not a sacrifice. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. Because God's going to meet us. In verse 24, again, that commentary, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Saul, for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year. I mean, talk about the dynamic duo here. For a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. This is called mentoring, discipleship. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You see, Barnabas leaves the situation and heads towards Tarsus to find a man by the name of Saul. And yes, this was the Pharisee who was named Saul, who had come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and became born again believer in Jesus as the Christ. And he tried to minister to the Jews in Damascus and was almost killed. You'll remember that story. Then he went to Jerusalem with a similar desire, but found himself in the same outcome, a near-death experience. You see, Saul was not welcomed in those areas, so the brothers, the brethren sent him to his own hometown of Tarsus. And with that, Barnabas and Saul assembled themselves with the church in Antioch and taught them the word of God. And it is here in Antioch that we first learn that the disciples were first called Christians. Now, this is very important for you, because Mormons will come and knock on your door. And they will say, oh, which they never used to say up until about the last three or four years. They would never say this. Oh, we're Christians too. They never used to say that. But they've been taught to say that so that the door will be open so that you'll open and bring them into your house. Oh, well, you're a Christian too. Well, I'm a Christian. Oh, well, hey, hey, we have that in common. Praise God. They're not Christians. (gasps) Time to mature. I'm not bashing Mormonism. Let's just talk facts. They're not Christians. How do I know that? Well, the word Christian means a follower of Christ. 
Again, it goes back to the root word, which carries with it the idea of contact, to smear or rub with oil. The idea of contact, to smear or rub with oil. And it's very interesting when you realize that oil is often symbolic of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. So with these last few verses, we see the exhortation to move forward, to stay, to have contact, to allow the Holy Spirit to overflow our lives. That's the exhortation for you and me this morning. Do Mormons do that? No. They push Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon. I'm not bashing. It's just reality. I've had this conversation with them because I want them to know you are not a Christian. I, I don't want to love them to hell. I want them to know the truth. Your church is lying to you. You are not a Christian. To be a Christian, you have to be born again. You have to follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, you might be a, a, a Christian. This may blow your minds, but you may be a Christian in Mormonism. That's possible, but you're not going to stay there. I was a Christian as a Catholic. And people looked at me like, there's no way. Yes, there was a way. I still went to church for, for seven years. Every Sunday morning, I punched the clock. But it was no longer punching the clock. I just had to mature enough to realize there's a conflict of interest here. Either the Catholic Church is right or the Bible's right because they both can't be right. So you could get saved as a Muslim and for a season still do those things. But you're eventually going to come out if you're truly saved a Jehovah Witness, a Mormon, whatever. That could possibly happen. But you're not going to stay because the truth will set you free. And you want other people to be set free. That's what happens. You see, when we make that commitment to do those things, a supernatural thing will happen. The believer will become the light of the world. So for you and me, the believer will become the light of the world. The believer will become the salt of the earth. When what happens? When we ask for more of the Holy Spirit to overflow our lives. And I didn't get this to the team in time, so we're going to do it a cappella. Do you guys remember that song? I think we got a slide. Jim, do you have that slide? Do you guys remember this song? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us. Fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, Fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall stand and let's change the word us to me and i encourage you to make that your prayer this morning make that your prayer this morning guys everything that we share here i don't always say this so i want to say it this morning 
everything that I share with you this morning, having a devotional time, reading your Bible, evangelizing, whatever it is, it's all with the premise of the Holy Spirit working through your life. We cannot do this out of duty or debt, but only through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So let's replace the word us with me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Father, that is our prayer as we go out into our mission field. We cannot do this in the flesh. We need more of your Holy Spirit. So even as Jesus taught, if you ask, seek, or knock, my Heavenly Father will give you more of the Holy Spirit. So we even do that right now, Father, as we sing and as we pray. Just fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We don't want yesterday's manna. We want fresh manna today, Father. And as we go out this week, Lord, may that be our prayer every single day. May we have more of your Holy Spirit to minister to a world that needs a relationship with you. They don't need religion. The world is trapped in religion. They need to be set free with a loving relationship. And we are your ambassadors for Christ. Use us this week, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God is good, guys. Amen. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Have a blessed week.